It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Damani Felder, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Layman, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's good to be here from, from one side of the planet to the other. Through the, the blessing of technology, we are able to connect with some extraordinary people all across the world and have been doing that for the last 18 months. And this is no different. Damani, I don't really know how to introduce you to our audience, and I'd like them to sort of organically figure you out, because I think with what you talk about and the message of hope and inspiration that you do share, I think it's really important, especially Australians and New Zealanders, uh, get a wee taste of what you are talking about. And so I suppose my very first question for you is, what are your favorite contradictions in the world right now? Contradictions. Uh, that's that's a good question. Uh, wow, I'd probably say, you know, there's a lot of contradictions and contradictory information coming out about certain regulations or mandates that have been brought down on people, not just here in America, here in Texas even, but uh, around the world, getting different information from different sources, having to do with the efficacy of certain substances that are being pushed by big pharma, uh, compared to what you see with your own eyes. I'd say that's probably the most obvious contradiction is that, as it were, if you chose to not pay attention or if you chose not to even partake in the mainstream media's news, you probably would not even be aware of the hysteria to which they want to subjugate the vast majority of individuals. So it really goes to show the power that they have over one's own perception of reality. But if you actually were to go out and engage with your fellow man, as if nothing had ever changed, you'd be hard pressed to find individuals who would cite any large differences between now and where we were at even 18 months ago. That's one huge contradiction. I think another contradiction is the fact that there are certain entities uh, the world over who will claim to be in support of certain organizations. One organization that specifically took hold of the entire country and the entire world even was the Black Lives Matter movement. And there's a lot of individuals out there who claim they want to amplify black voices or claim that they want to, you know, do everything they can to support individuals who they claim have melanated skin, which is just a fancier way of saying colored person. You see how they've changed the words around there. Um, but then if they do encounter an individual who does have melanin in their skin, who chooses not to espouse some of the same precepts upon which the BLM organization was founded, then they are roundly panned by those same individuals. It's another very stark contradiction that I think has not been addressed appropriately over these past uh, several years, probably the last seven years now. And it's something that I think we need to actually speak to and actually uncover 
and figure out why that uh, why that is the way it is in the world today. So let's let's dig a little deeper on this because this is a real area of interest for me because when George Floyd uh, died. Uh, and the, the BLM, the Black Lives Matter, um, social media, um, you know, putting the black square in, in the Instagram posts went went viral. There was an inherent uncomfortableness that I felt, and I didn't do it. And I felt that there was a reason in my soul, and I've become very intuitive, I feel, with what's going on. And I wonder if uh, you might be able to explain what discomfort that I might have been feeling. And we haven't spoken about this previously, just for our audience either. Right. I would say it's probably the awareness that you are participating in more of a performative action. There's so much social pressure in this day and age to conform to whatever the druthers of the polite society, if you will, would dictate. But when you have that sense of discomfort, it is because that is not authentically something that you may have necessarily been in agreement with. And many individuals were not in agreement with the way all of the protests or the outbursts or the riots, whatever word you want to use, actually went down last year. So the fact that now you're going to show solidarity with an organization that has demonstrably been embroiled in controversies, not even just very long ago. We're talking about a few months ago. We have controversies wherein certain individuals involved with the organization were purchasing houses for themselves and enriching themselves off of what is ostensibly a very philanthropic cause. So the discomfort that you felt is a discomfort that I know a lot of other people shared because they felt how meaningless it really was in the grand scheme of things. And I'll actually bring this point up to you because I've mentioned this before um, in some other videos I've created, is the fact that there's so many individuals out there who are living for everyone else's impressions, living for everyone else's approval. And that is not you being your authentic self. When you feel pressure in this artificial facade that is social media to do something that you would not have done yourself ordinarily, then it begs the question, is that really you speaking or is that someone else you are allowing to speak through you because you choose to capitulate to whatever their demands may be? And I think that's a really good point. And I, and I would say that you have absolutely nailed exactly how I felt, right? And my, my next question would be around being authentic. What is it about being authentic or true to ourselves that's so important? It's really the fact that we are all unique individuals. We all have our own reasons for believing the way we do. We all have our own experiences that have shaped us into the people that we are today. And for you to shirk off that uniqueness in order to fall in line with a larger collective group is to deny yourself the ability to actually be yourself, be the individual that God created you to be. I'm a Christian myself, so I believe that God has created us all for a purpose, and that we are not all supposed to think the same way. There is supposed to be a space for discourse and even polite, respectful disagreement. But when you don't feel you have those privileges anymore, that is when a certain part of you dies. And that is when a certain part of you realizes that in order for you to maintain the status quo, even in a world that goes out of its way to tell you that you need to be yourself, be you, be the best version of yourself, if they really meant that, then there would be no qualms 
with individuals actually saying what they believed. But now we have such an inherent fear of retribution from the general public. The individuals, I would argue the large majority of a lot of individuals out there no longer are even being themselves anymore. They have become more or less clones of whatever overarching ideology they claim to be in league with. And that's a problem because when you refuse to be yourself, when you shirk or shrug off that uniqueness, who are you anymore? That's the question people need to ask themselves. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting point because as someone who's come through a a huge transformation in their life over the last six years, and yesterday, uh, at date of recording, which was the 26th of August, 2021, uh, I celebrated my fifth year of sobriety and longer for drugs and gambling and philandering and negative self-talk and a bunch of other stuff. And people hear me go on about this all the time, but it's really important because one of those negative behaviors for me was seeking validation. And so I would do and say things in order to attract approval from people that were uh, were misaligned with my own core beliefs and values. Sometimes they were aligned, but my values have shifted. And the importance of speaking up and, and speaking my piece now has become paramount. And, and I suppose one thing that I must uh, clarify for our audience that are only listening, Imani, what is your cultural and ethnic background, please? <laughs> Uh, I am an African-American male, 29 years old, living here in Houston, Texas. So many people find a lot of my views to be somewhat oxymoronic, but I take pride in that because the thought that someone can see someone and based on the color of their skin, automatically presume how an individual feels on certain social issues is to regress to the civil rights era of the 1950s and 60s. And for a group or a country that claims to be so far removed from that, to always be operating with some sort of built-in retrospect, it's completely, una- it's not analogous with what their purported mission and goal should actually be. Okay, brilliant. Are you able to say what, you, what you're aligned to politically? Oh, yeah, I say it all the time on social media. Uh, I am a, I'm a conservative. I am a Christian, and I'm a conservative. And I use those two terms So intentionally, because they do more or less line up with my values. My religion is going to dictate what my morality actually looks like. My religion is going to dictate the precepts that I choose to live by. And being a conservative is slightly different from being a Republican here in America. There is a very marked difference and there's a vast divide or a rift, I would even say, is developing even within that organization or within that political party because There are certain individuals who will purport to be a Republican, but then who comport themselves in ways that are antithetical to the cause of conservatism. Therefore, they cannot be lumped in as all one category because there's differences there as well. There's lots of people who have gotten very good at saying all the right things and knowing what the base wants to hear. But then when the bill comes due and the bill invariably will come due, if they choose to shirk their responsibilities or even renege on their past promises, then they prove themselves to be untrustworthy. And then they still will go back to those same constituents and then repeat the cycle every two years, four years, or six years, which is what a lot of conservatives have become fed up with. And that's why I've chosen to find my own voice just to speak out and really shed light on individuals who do not have the best interests of America or even the entire world at heart. 
I think for, for people listening as well, they might be thinking, you know, Damani, uh, that's that's all well and good, but like, what do you know about police br- brutality? Like, it sounds like you've had a pretty cushy life, but I've seen a video where you were spoke you spoke about being wrongfully arrested, and I wondered if you'd share that story with our audience. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll boil it down. So this actually happened seven years, a little more than seven years ago now, when I was in College Station, Texas. I was a senior at Texas A&M University. And there was an evening where an altercation ensued that I did not provoke with the roommate that I was living with at the time. And that roommate there after that altercation, um, I decided to retreat to my own quarters upstairs. He lived downstairs. I heard what sounded like gunshots downstairs. And I knew one of my roommates did own a gun. I wasn't sure if it was this roommate who was shooting at the time. I uh, come to find out later on, he was actually, he actually had a hammer. And he was hammering all around my bedroom door, which was locked, trying to get into it. I'm on the second floor, mind you. So I did what I thought was the right thing to do. And I called 911. And then when the officers arrived on the scene, um, what they said was, you know, this is technically assault causing bodily injury to a family member under whatever law they chose to cite. And they said, someone's going to go to jail and it's going to be you. So turn around and put your hands behind your back. Bear in mind, my roommate was uh, a, a Caucasian male. And obviously, they, I chose to comply with the officers instead of escalating the situation. And justice was served in due time. But I tell that story all the time because what I want people to realize is that there is a perception towards police officers that many African-Americans and even many Caucasian-Americans and Caucasians around the world, people of any ethnic background, they have become misled, intentionally misled by the mainstream media. They have chosen to believe a narrative that has been very carefully scripted, and they choose to view all police officers with contempt. Now, are there some police officers who should not be on the force? Absolutely. And whenever we see that bad conduct exposed, it is our duty to make sure that they are brought to justice and apprehended accordingly. But to paint so broadly with such a broad brush, I find it to be hypocritical and disingenuous because... We, myself, I'm talking about my own ethnic group as uh, African-Americans or people of color, as some people like to say, we chafe, rightfully chafe, at being miscast and judged based off of the actions of a select few individuals who do damage the reputation of our larger collective minority group. So therefore, how can we in good faith and in good conscience turn around and treat another group of people with that same unilateral contempt? It's disingenuous and hypocritical, even more so because there's so much information that is available to the average individual on the concept, on the topic of police brutality. Anyone who wants to know here in America can actually go to the Washington Post's own database. They've compiled listing every police shooting since 2015, I believe. So over the last six plus years at this point. And if you look at the numbers, I looked at the numbers last night. I believe the numbers is 137 Uh, unarmed black individuals were shot and killed by the police this year in America compared to the larger group of individuals who were shot and killed by the police in America. And that number is well over 6,000. So the number of black unarmed people shot and killed by the police, black unarmed males is actually 2% of the entire number of individuals who were shot and killed by the police this year. But no one knows any of that. And I would dare anyone who questions me even to try right now to think of five names the names of five unarmed black men who were shot and killed in America. And I guarantee you can't, 
And that's because the media is going to tell you which names to care about and which names to not care about. That's the prime example that we had with the George Floyd situation. For some reason, he became a lightning rod for this racial activism and the exercising of all of these violent demons that many minority individuals felt the right to exercise in the aftermath. But that being said, the, you can't have people sign on to something and then rally around one name in one voice uh, against a perceived slight and then have those same people be silent when another individual might be shot and killed even by someone else who also shares their skin pigmentation. And that happens far more often than people even want to acknowledge. That's why I actually released a video and I posted it to my YouTube channel and I was listing names just over the past several months, names that people would be hard pressed to actually be familiar with because the media told you to focus on George Floyd and not focus on individuals like top of my head. I believe there's a young, a young lady by the name of Neandria Dyer and she was actually shot and killed. She was 13 years old, I believe, in a gas station shootout in between two gang members in that area. And no one knows what her name is. And she's just one of many. And that's the problem that I have with individuals who have what I call selective outrage. They choose what to become obsessed with and they choose what to ignore. But ignoring those other cases of real brutality, even interracial, not intraracial, I should say, even intraracial brutality that is swept under the rug and that's simply unconscionable i i rely on a lot of my uh information on things like george floyd and whatever else is going on from whatever media is available but i mean you live in the u.s you, you, you're in texas i believe uh who was george floyd as an individual do you know anything about his him and his background well, i know plenty about george floyd and his background and it's not pretty that is not to say that people are irredeemable and cannot actually return to grace after having fallen there from. Let's just say that when you understand what a person's prior proclivities may have been, it gives you a better indication of what they may have been involved with that led to their unfortunate or untimely demise. There is an onus that we place on individuals and in law enforcement to treat every individual as if they are not a threat whatsoever. And I think that really stems from the fact that a lot of people have become too accustomed to treating or viewing the profession of being a law enforcement officer with some sort of video game experience where you can respawn. I'm sorry, but if you do think you see a gun on someone or someone else is breaking a law, then are you going to sit there and play Russian roulette? If it was you as an individual and you had to make that snap decision in a tenth of a second, you'd be hard pressed to sit there and run through everything that could possibly go wrong. Now, I will also say that there's plenty of preventative measures that police officers actually have that typically do result in better outcomes for all involved. But the fact remains, if we look at someone's history, we understand what they are more or less inclined to do. And the fact of the matter is that if uh, George Floyd himself had never attempted to use a counterfeit $20 bill and had never ingested all of those illicit substances in the first place, then his interaction with law enforcement, I would argue, would never even happen to begin with. So you have to actually place blame where it is due and be more be more intentional with where we focus our attention. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. It's, uh, it's helped me a lot. And, you know, as a uh, a Pākehā, which is the Māori word for white guy, <laughs> which is what I am, <laughs> um, in my hedonistic days in 2006, I had an incident where I got uh, 
blind drunk and I ingested cocaine and I was at a nightclub and I got booted out. And and as I got down to the bottom of the stairs, the bouncer told me to F off. And I responded back very belligerently because I was intoxicated and told him to F off, which was very out of character for me. And and there was six police officers standing at the bottom of the stairs that I failed to notice. And one of them told me to pipe down. And then a part of my amygdala or my frontal cortex just misfired at that time. And I told the police to go and get effed. And so they took after me on foot. Now, I may not look at Damani, but I'm actually pretty fast once I get up and running, and I actually outran them. The only they Ooh. they jumped in the in their patrol cars, uh, cars and the and the paddy wagons they call them, which are like the station wagons, and mm-hmm. uh, and chased after me. And they had to go down a section of the road that was only available for the tram system, and I doubled back and hid in this amazing cubby hole. Uh, within about 30 seconds, I was surrounded by a peacock feather of cops and a megaphone demanding that I come out. And uh, and I immediately, and I write about this in my book as well, This what was going through my head. And I immediately went into submission mode because I knew that to antagonize the situation would only end poorly with me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, what actually happened Someone fitting my description had coward punched someone, which is also known as a king hit. And I've tried to rebrand the name over here. They had coward punched someone and done a lot of damage. And they assumed it was me because the description was bald with a beard, right? Which described every second male in Melbourne at that time, right? <laughs> and, and I was released without charge. And I had guns pointed at my face, right? Wow. And I would like to think that I'm quite uh it was quite sobering going through being chased and it and it's a tick off the bucket list for me, right? I don't know if I want to do that again. But uh <laughs> quite exhilarating, certainly legging the police. But but that whole experience taught me about the power of uh submission at a moment where you know you had there was probably ten cops around me at the end. Uh that could have easily gone bad. This is long before George Floyd ever happened. And so yeah. Um, having witnessed that firsthand and having friends and people that I know that have been involved with the police, anytime they resist, uh, it goes to shit <laughs> for them. Um, I think it might have been Chris Rock uh, put out a special many years ago telling yep. African-American men. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's 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 insanity to me to try and resist. And it's it's, I mean, it's a shame that anyone dies in that manner, but I think you brought up a really good point about uh, let's educate ourselves on the truth about what's going on so that we can then make informed decisions. And you're a truth Absolutely. seeker. You've got this amazing social media presence across YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, and you've got this amazing uh, podcast series with your brother Trey called The Right, the right yep. Brothers. Is that right? That's right. You right, right, R-I-G-H-T. That's and right. uh, and and you are sharing all of your thoughts and ideas on this. So if you if you want a really brilliant uh, couple of guys to follow, certainly Damani's work. Um, I'll link all this information in the show notes and and on YouTube and stuff as well. But I suppose my question, Damani, is what drives you to do all this? Because you're putting yourself in the gun here. Absolutely. What I find is. I have been on this journey for quite some time. You know, and I find myself coming back to whenever I 
decide that I want to take a break from whatever, or just, you know, hang it up altogether. There's the fact that we don't have enough people who are willing to take uncomfortable stands to achieve desirable outcomes. It almost feels as if people are perpetually stuck in a state of emotional limbo, wherein they feel very emotionally charged by a particular situation, but then they do not find the wherewithal to actually act on that uh, real intrinsic motivation that they may have. And I find myself becoming impatient at the state of the world and seeing how quickly it is devolving and spiraling out of control. And my thought process was I have to be willing to take a stand now while I still even have the freedoms to do so. I know many people over there in Australia and New Zealand have seen many of their liberties stripped away. And I know there are people there, even in those countries, who are starting to organize and take action, and they have my fullest support. But there's a lot of other people there in Australia and New Zealand, too, who I know feel similarly. But it almost feels as if sometimes we're waiting for someone else to be the first one to launch themselves headlong into the the jaws of the adversary, even, and let the chips fall where they may. But if we all rose up and had that intrinsic motivation to say, I'm going to do my part because maybe no one else will, then we could return the world to normal and to normalcy very, very quickly. But that's really what drives me is the fact that if no one else is going to do it, I feel like I've been blessed with a certain skill set. And it is my duty to actually use the talents God's blessed me with to the best of my abilities for as long as he gives me breath here on this earth. Yeah, and you're doing a hell of a job, uh, Damani. I've got to say, uh, it's very impressive. And what I like to call dino balls, uh, because what's bigger <laughs> than regular balls, right? Um, well, uh, what, thank you. What advice can you give people about how to effectively go about creating positive change? The first thing I think you have to do is not worry about the opinions of others. Everyone is, I would argue, obsessed to a very healthy degree as to what does this person think of me? What does that person think of me? And the question really is, what do you think of you? Because if you do feel strongly about something and if you don't take that action, then I would argue that there is a little degree of cowardice there. So if you do believe strongly in something, then you have to actually take those steps to making sure that you don't keep that under the wraps, if you will. What I would say, too, is there is another proclivity to present alternate versions of yourself, depending on the locale in which you find yourself. And I would say that you should be authentic at all times, regardless of what the potential negative social consequences could be. It's very tempting sometimes to portray different facets of yourself. But when you do that, you more or less undercut your own message. Because if you do feel strongly about something, then people should see evidence of that in the way you go about your life. And what I'll also say is, for people who are nervous about getting started, they're worried about social blowback. They're worried about social ostracization. They're worried about getting cut off from friends or loved ones or family members. And I totally understand that. I've, I have family members myself who will not even speak to me and who've removed themselves as connections on my social media. And you know what? Yes, that's a difficult pill to swallow. But you know what? There's a lot of other people out there that you don't even know of yet, who if you just take it upon yourself to have the wherewithal to stand up, you will find individuals, I'm not going to say to replace, but you'll find individuals who will stand in the gap and fight with you. But you never know they're out there if you didn't start talking 
and becoming your authentic self and not caring what the rest of the world thinks about you. So those are just a few bits of knowledge. And it's helped me a lot because when I first started speaking out, another fear, one more thing I will say, one more thing I will say is for anyone who is so uh, socially inclined to the world of social media, everyone knows that that is an area wherein your detractors find a sense of comfort in having a degree of perceived anonymity. And in the, uh, in the beginning of any venture that you start, you are going to find people who choose to dissociate with you or publicly attempt to humiliate you in the social media town square. And that's okay too. Because again, that's not reality. It breaks my heart sometimes that so many people actually take more time to invest in their social media persona than to invest in reality. They think that one supplants the other. And that's simply not true. It doesn't matter how small your following might be on social media or how large it is. As long as you stay consistent, that's all that matters. Because when I first started speaking on social media myself, my goal was not, oh, one day I want to have 100,000 followers here or there or wherever. It was like, I'm going to speak the truth. I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm going to take some heat for it. And that's okay. And we'll let everything shake out as it will. And it just so happened that the more I started speaking out, other individuals began rallying around the message. And it's taken off from that point. But still, if I'd never started, I never would have known what I could have been possibly capable of. And you never would have seen that video that inspired you to reach out to me to set this uh, this uh, video up. So it's all about those little things, little actions you can take in the here and now, starting small, starting just with what you know, being confident in what you know. If you're confident in what you know, and you know your facts. It doesn't matter what other people think because you know you're right and you've done your own research. And that's the most peaceful feeling you can possibly find. Can I get an amen? Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a brilliant point, Damani, and, and uh, that's very along the lines of what I'm trying to do with this channel. Uh, I love to provide a platform for all kinds of different people on here, and but they like the premises and, and the best interviews are the ones where people are, are truthful and honest to themselves, because. There's something about the truth that is just uh, there's there's from a vibrational frequency like it's just it, it connects you with the right people and people hear me talk about this all the time you know where you become like the five people that you spend the most time around you uh, you know like most of the people that I used to, to to socialize with over the course of my life 97 98 percent aren't involved in it anymore and it's not that they are bad people it's just that We've grown apart and a lot of them don't serve me well. And so I want to be around people that are going to lift me up, fill my cup, be authentic, be real, uh, and be able to have honest conversations and open discourse without all the emotion tied to it as well. Having been from one side of the fence to the other and looking back and sort of shaking my head at like, oh man, like how much have I grown? (laughs) Like I'm really proud, I'm really proud. And I share unabashed all of my demons on on this podcast and and in the book, you know, and for me it's it's a catharsis, it's it's a healing process, and I think people don't understand that that whole thing. And and I, I suppose my question to you is, uh, from your own catharsis, like, is there any chance that you will ever stop doing what you're doing? Absolutely not. You know, you have a fantastic story yourself that you can and should be very proud of. And, you know, I'm honored to even be on this on this episode with you. 
Uh, what I'll say is when you are being your fully authentic self, there's nothing to change. There's nothing to stop doing because the concept of being your authentic self is saying, I'm going to do this at 110% because this is what I truly believe. And having that knowledge gives you the wherewithal to keep going because there's nothing to stop doing. You're going to continue to soldier on to do what you've always been doing ostensibly. And there should not be any cessation of that as you continue to press on towards that goal. Now, will your goals possibly morph? Will your views possibly morph over time? Yes, absolutely. But there are certain underpinnings, certain moral codes, certain ideologies that remain largely immutable. In making those the cornerstone and the foundation of what your stance really is enables you to be ideologically consistent, but also enables you to be absolutely uh, truthful and, I would argue, consistent in what you're doing, as it were, as it replies to the larger, um, the larger topic at hand. Yeah, brilliant, and and thank you for your kind words, Damani. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, it's it is comments like that that inspire me to keep going, and I and I hope for the same for you. Um, a question around a book called COVID nineteen: The Great Reset, written by uh, Klaus Schwab and one Klaus of the Schwab. Joker. Right? Have you read it yet? Uh, I've not read it. I'm familiar with it, and I know of it though. So, so the reason I ask is I've started reading it, and I haven't finished it. I'm about fifty five percent through it. And the reason I wanted to bring it up, because it ties in with a lot of the stuff that you talk about. And basically, for people listening, it's a book written by the guy who founded the World Economic Forum and is largely regarded by many people as uh, a modern-day Satan, I think. And, uh, <laughs> but I was, lightly. Yeah, and, and I, and I, but I want to understand the mind of these people. So I started reading it, and what I, what I, the gut feeling that I get, Damani, is this. These people are... All academics, you know, on paper, very smart people. And I say on paper only. They take other academics' work as gospel and don't use critical thinking. And because of all the lies that are being, like, or the, the information that's coming out that's being disproven time and time again around climate change, red meat being bad for you, uh you know, like overpopulation, all this other stuff that they talk about in this future world, what's, what the world's going to look like post-COVID. I just think that their intentions originally came from a good place. And I know that might sound a bit funny, but very quickly got skewed and they've, they've got this ideology in their minds of, okay, we've got to, it's our duty to save the world because we've got all this influence and power. And so they're taking a lot of the, the misinformation that's been fed to them and basing this future society on a world um, that is it's going to be totally wrong because it's all based on a house of cards. It's all most of its mistruths. Reading that book and figuring, trying to figure this out, because if you understand something and reverse engineer it, then you can figure out how to, to how to make it work properly, at least in my own mind. Am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. I'll say this, Laban. Frequently, what happens is there's a lot of causes and social pushes and social rallies around certain things that, on at their face, at face value, actually appear to be extremely benevolent. They appear to be something that everyone should be able to rally around. 
But what becomes more insidious is when you actually start peeling back those layers of the onion, understand what is the main driver behind this? Because if you were to just walk up to someone on the street and say, hey, um, Black Lives Matter, you know, my first question is whoever told you they didn't matter? That's the real question there. Why are we talking about this right now? But I bring up that illustration just to show that people have become so obsessed with that overarching theme that, you know, more or less they miss the forest for the trees. There's so many little bits of information and really little tiny bits of ideology here and there that is what rolls up into this larger entity. But because people are so obsessed with seeing the larger entity that they do not or refuse to see what it is comprised of, therein lies the problem. You might say, oh, we need to make sure that things become more sustainable. You can argue maybe we can be more... Uh, more responsible as it relates to the care of Earth. You could argue that. But how is cramming someone into a future dystopian hellhole of an apartment that's barely 200 square feet, if that, how is that going to save the Earth if you're ruining someone's soul and someone's spirit in order to accomplish that objective? That's really what it is at the end of the day. Yeah, I'll give you a big amen for that as well. I... uh... I don't know whether it's arrogance, Damani, but I was saying to my fiance yesterday, I reckon if you gave me five years and absolute power, and I don't mean that in a tyrannical kind of uh, overlord kind of way, but if you gave me basically the script that I could write for the future of the earth in the next five years, I'm confident that I could turn shit around pretty damn quick. And that might seem like a really arrogant statement, but uh, given I like to self-experiment, I like to know the truth and I'm starting to find the truth in a lot of these things and I'm not denying there's some truth to some of the other stuff that comes out but um I'm I'm a man on a mission Damani and uh and I'm coming with you brother as well uh I love we it can, well to we, that point really quickly you, yeah. you I think to your point anyone who is truly altruistic would share in that goal and I would argue would come close to being successful if not being successful outright that's because you actually care about other people you actually don't want there to be any suffering there's the way the world works is there's always two different parties there's an oppressor or there's an oppressee there's a payer there's a payee this goes on there's a leaser and a lessee if you will right but with that knowledge then there becomes a sort of symbiosis that occurs wherein one always needs the other and as it relates to much of the global control there are certain individuals who need those under them to have some authoritative figure to look up to. And it's completely artificial in scope, but that's what they operate off of. If you solve world hunger tomorrow, then how could you possibly launder money through these uh, world hunger organizations in order to line your own pockets? You can't. Therefore, you cannot end world hunger without putting a dent in someone's pocket somewhere. It always goes back to the almighty dollar and who's chasing it and who wants to secure as many of those dollars for themselves at the expense of other people as they possibly can. Yeah, so good. So good, Damani. Hey, I'm super conscious of your time. You're a busy man. Uh, Where can people find you? The time has flown, hasn't it? I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you again for having me. Now, for those who would like to find more of my content, you can find me, like we said earlier, on YouTube at The Wright Brothers. That's R-I-G-H-T Brothers. That's me and my older brother, Trey. 
We do that YouTube show together. I'm also on TikTok. Uh, TikTok is at the Damani Felder. That's T-H-E-D-A-M-A-N-I-F-E-L-D-E-R. The same handle is on Instagram, the Damani Felder. The same handle is on Twitter, the Damani Felder. Facebook, Damani Bryant Felder. There's a public figure page there. It's a picture of me in a black American flag hat with a Patriot shirt. Um, where else am I? I am on Gab. I'm on Gab. That's D-A-M-A-N-A-T-O-R-1-4. I'm on Telegram at T.M.E. slash the Damani Felder. I was on Parler before they took that away from me. But uh, those are a few <laughs> places you can find me. But the, what I like to say is odds are wherever you look for me, I'm probably going to have a profile there because I have not been deep platform yet. And what that means is I have more work to do. Yeah, so. brilliant. Damani, uh, I want you to take this as a huge compliment, but the way that you speak in your videos reminds me of being told off by Mr. T from the AT. <laughs> and and I, I pity the fool that comes up against Damani Felder. Damani, hey, do you have any concluding thoughts for our audience today? You know, I just really want to encourage people out there who are feeling downtrodden at the moment, who are feeling as if there is no hope left. Uh, there's still much that we have yet to experience here on this planet. There's still much to work to do, but there's still much to enjoy as well. But the most important thing we can do is actually find our internal, internal motivation, find our wherewithal to rise and fight for the things that actually matter. And that takes many different forms. You can organize at the local level. You can organize at the state level. You can organize at the individual on your city block level if you wanted to. It's going to require you to be a little uncomfortable at first, but you never know how many other people are waiting for you to step up to answer that call to action. So I want to encourage those of you out there who are feeling as if all is lost to know that all is not lost and you get to be a part in fixing everything that's going wrong in this world. If you just answer that call and rise up and become an active participant in this game and in this process. Ladies and gentlemen, Damani Felder. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available and not only just bring them on but to develop relationships with them that build into know like and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire you'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience go to podcastingheroes.com it's p-o-d-c-a-s-t-i-n-g-h-e-r-o-e-s.com